Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 57 of the Corona Diaries and the spring is coiled. That's what I've just been told. And there you have it, released. (laughs) He's ready, he's fired up this morning folks, it's going to be a belter. I'm just going to pop out and wind it up again now. (laughs) What happened to the goat? (laughs) Actually that'd that'd be a good toy wouldn't it, a H in a box. (laughs) <laughs> i could see that and then wheezes a lot <laughs> wheezes a lot as you put it back in oh <laughs> my shoulder <laughs> oh. uh, we started already I'm- once you've shut the lid you could just hear the muffled sound of giggling before <laughs> <laughs> you let it off <laughs> Before before we start, we've we've got we've got some housekeeping, and we've got some housekeeping in relation to the last episode, oh. which was which was a little bit chaotic being put together, and we thought it was a bit all over the place. Anyway, it turns out a lot of people really liked it, um, and there was load there were more comments. Quote on, Gary on, Barlow: "You say the most when you say nothing at all." Indeed, not something that we struggle with. Um, no, the, you the, say the patrons best. went mad. Sorry, I'll shut up. No, you're fine. I, no, no, I was just saying no, the patrons went mad. No. Off you go. Okay. The patrons went mad. And another thing. No, I did that <laughs> on purpose. That was that was the secret of comedy gag, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, of the stuff the patrons came back with, um, it's like the that comments joke, feeding. Isn't it? Knock knock. <laughs> <laughs> Who's there? <laughs> the interrupting cow. The interrupting Boom. cow. I knew it was coming. I had to go along for the ride, didn't I? That is a good <laughs> so, so the comment section's full of lemon drizzle cake recipes or offers of. Some people are full of shit. I'm full of lemon drizzle. You are. Full of le- now, Lobster Linda, apparently it's her son's speciality, mm. lemon drizzle cake. Well, send him so over. She's off- well, she's offered to pop one over next time you're at Real World because she lives just down the road. Not you, quite sure how far. You're lying. No, I'm not. No, she's offered to pop one in. Oh. Oh. Um, well, I might give so, her a guided tour of the control room if she brings <laughs> plates. <laughs> That's what you get for a lemon drizzle. Um, Sarah Golden Keen informs us that there are plenty of hula girls in blue Hawaii. Oh, right. Yes, I did spot that in the old messages. That was Elvis, was it? That was Elvis. Well, yes. that must have been something. Maybe when Sonny found out I was a singer, he thought I was, you know, like Elvis. Like Elvis. <laughs> they don't get a lot on the radio in Denmark. <laughs> no, 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 sounds like it. Um, Peter Davis, 
pointed out that the AOS version of Accidental Man is actually on another DAT in the office, which is the um, odd, the odds and sods of demos from Strange Engine. But they actually put the AOS version on. Hmm. So what do we know? Incredible. So at some point we might have to listen to that. Yes. Um, you know, just so you can disagree with Mark, another I guess. Da- that's a great title, another DAT in the office. Who's yeah. thought of that? Yeah, very clever, that. Um, Steve Evans managed to get onto Boney M's tour bus at a gig in (laughs) Butlins, or at Butlins, and he had a really intelligent conversation with Bobby Farrell about the origins of Ra Ra Rasputin. Incredible. But he was so pissed he can't remember the answer. No. Well, Bobby probably can't remember it either. (laughs) So, so, So that came out. At which point Tom McGreed said the influence of Lennon's songwriting and Bobby Farrell's moves are what maketh the man they call H. (laughs) I didn't know how to take that. (laughs) It's my quote of the week, that. I'm going to take all of this as a compliment. Yeah, I think you should. I think think when the third... um, When the third book of the diaries comes out, I think that quote ought to be on the back. Yes. Well, I would agree to anything because the chances of that happening and before my death are pretty slim, to be honest. When I write it as your epitaph, <laughs> yeah, you I'll put might that on the back to. cover. Yeah. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to let me loose with that. <laughs> you could ghostwrite it. Right. You could, right. you know, have a sheet over your head, a couple of holes <laughs> in it for your eyes. <laughs> what do you do with your arms? <laughs> I don't know. You must have to write it under the sheet. Well, in which case, the eye holes are no use. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> How do ghosts write? I, I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of it about. Right, okay. Anyway, anyway, enough of that nonsense. Enough of that nonsense. Let's get let's get to the, the topic in hand. And we're going to talk this week about recording your vocals. Mm. And this came because mm. we had a bit of a conversation about comping vocals last week in between starting and finishing various takes. Um, right. And I thought, why not? It was quite an interesting conversation. I thought, why not, why not start with a vocal conversation? So mm. I guess first question from me is, where do you even start? Is it... Do you start with the jams? How, how do you actually start the process of recording the band and recording the vocals? Yeah, well, while the band's jamming, I'm singing. Uh, in the studio these days, I'm using the same mic as I'm talking down right now, which is a sure KSM something or other. Nine. Nine. If only there was an expert we could speak to. <laughs> could clarify this for us. Uh, KSM9 is what I'm speaking to at the moment. And they are really good, to be fair. Um, In the old days, I used uh, a Shure SM58, which was was and to some extent still is the industry standard because not only can you talk into them and sing into them, but you can knock nails in with them, Um, you know, without that much damage um i have a friend called john otway who's almost made a living out of destroying them and um when uh, when old, old dave stops had his uh exhibition 
in Aylesbury Museum of his Friars gig, uh, everybody was encouraged to send um, to send uh, exhibits that he could show as part of the history. And I think I sent the MIDI gloves in or a MIDI cricket bat or something. Otway <laughs> sent a basket of destroyed SM58s that were just that he'd, that he'd headbutted and kicked and, you know, that Willie had, had broken over his head from time to time. Uh, which was quite funny. But I digress. The industry yeah. standard was the SM58. And I could even, uh, if you listen very carefully, you, you, can, you can hear this one I'm holding up now. Um, which is a grey thing that looks a bit like an ice cream with a, um, a grill on the head. You'll have seen them on the telly. But they're fantastic too. And David Bowie stuck with the 58 all the way through to the end of his life. If you ever see footage of Bowie uh, singing live, he must have decided that his voice sounded great down a 58, him being a poet and all. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, despite the invention of incredibly expensive microphones and, and you know, that he could easily afford, he, he chose to... He chose a 58. He must have liked the sound of his voice down it. And my voice sounds good down a 58. You know, not everybody's does. But the, the KSM-9, which I'm speaking to you on now, um, is, uh, is also a very good thing and uh, I've seemed to have gravitated to it. Um, so in the studio, just to answer your question, in the studio we start jamming. I've got a KSM line like this one um, down at the studio and I sing on that. And that provides quite an acceptable vocal sound. The only trouble with using those vocals is that there's drums banging and crashing in the background all over them which doesn't matter provided you're using the same drum take when it goes to the final mix because uh, it doesn't get in the way. But if you decide to change your drums in any way, then suddenly it's wishy-washy, bishy-bashy-boshy, flammy-flammy in the background. Um, so that fufty, makes... Fufty. Hey? Fufty, fufty. Fufty, 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 grace, noty, snary. Yes. Yes. All over the bloody thing. All over the place. Um, so, um, more often than not, um, I do re-sing the lead vocals. I've, we do, but we do sometimes keep guides just because they've got a vibe and, you know, I was in a place at the time that I might not have realised I was in uh, that I've, I, I can't recreate, you know, kind of a, a feeling or a soul or, or maybe just when you want something that feels a bit more casual because as soon as you as soon as you go into the studio to record vocals properly on your own um there's that sense of shit this is really important get it right sing it in tune mean it you know be truthful um and there's so it's so agenda driven from my point of view at that point. You know, it's a it's a big head game at that point. Um, 
that you can you can lose that sort of casual this really doesn't matter feeling that sometimes the guides have that you might want a lot of the time that's the last thing you'd want but sometimes it's what you want so uh these days um when i'm singing on the records i'm using the ksm9 i'm monitoring on headphones I've got these headphones. Uh, no, not these. I've got Bose, Bose headphones on at the moment. But um, I've also got some Denon headphones. I don't know what the model number is. Mark got onto these a few years back and let me have a listen and I thought they were fantastic. So I bought a couple of pairs and I've got a pair kicking around the house that I use for uh, critical listening and a pair at the studio that I use when I'm there. And so I use these Denon cans. They're over-ear cans. Um, there's two kinds of headphones. Um, there's the, there's the head, what they call open, open headphones where they don't really exclude the room or, or where you are. They don't, they don't exclude too much. And then there are closed headphones with the big cushions on them that exclude the outside world. Um, and I've tried singing on both. I used AKG headphones for quite a long time. They do some nice open-ear ones. The problem with listening on headphones is that, especially if you're listening loud, there's a slight pitch shift that happens. Um, and I've never worked out whether that's whether that happens in the headphones, in the air, or in your brain. Um, but it does happen. And if you take them off, you'll hear the pitch change. You know, if you, if you take your cans off and hold them, in the, hold them in the, uh, with your arms extended, you'll, you know, so you're listening to them bleeding from afar, the pitch changes. Um, so I've found for years that if I sang in headphones, I would sing out of tune a little bit. And it used to drive me around the twist. So back in the days when I was singing with Megan, um, Holidays in Eden and, and um, Afraid of... Not Holidays in Eden, that wasn't with Dave, was it? But when I came to sing uh, on Brave and Afraid of Sunlight, I said to Dave... You know, I I don't really like singing in headphones. It, it, it always feels a bit alien, and the pitch never really fe- sounds right to me. And Dave said, "Oh, it's just just Bono, you too." And he told me that Bono would sing on speakers with everything up really loud. And Dave had a little trick where he would play the backing track through the speakers really loud without you singing and he'd record that down the mic and then he'd get you to sing and he would place that that track out of phase with the voice and it would remove nearly all the spill so you'd just be left with the voice which is quite smart and that's, that's very clever that that's how they record bono uh, because Bono likes to record as though he's, or he did at that stage, yeah, like he was on stage with some wedge monitors up loud, you know, like, so he felt like a rock god while he was singing. Um, which, uh, and there's no harm in feeling like a rock god when no. you're singing, especially if you're singing rock. 
Um, so Dave set up some speakers for me and I I sang a lot of those vocals on Brave and Afraid of Sunlight with a 58, an SM58, and um, on speakers. And he managed to get some great vocal sounds. Mm. The, the, the actual song Afraid of Sunlight, that vocal was recorded on a 58 with speakers, not on a posh Swiss vintage microphone with headphones, but, you know, with a racket going on. And, uh, and me on a 58. So it, it's perfectly possible to get an amazing vocal sound like that. Mm. When I worked clever. with uh, Trevor Horn recently, he had a Sony microphone. Um, you might know the name of that as well. The one with all the heat sink fins on the back. It's quite a thing. Oh, grief. And they're Come about, back to me. They're, they're over £10,000 a pop. In fact, they might be £17,000, those. Um, and that's what Sting uses, apparently, and Seal and all these heavy hitters. They use this um, in, insanely expensive Sony microphone um, that you can't really get hold of. They, they, I've been looking around for one, you know, I thought I might sell the house and buy one. Uh, but but you can't get them. Uh, they're very, uh, they're very, very sought after and it takes Sony a couple of years to make one. Um, so because uh, they've got valves in them but they all have to be matched and, you yeah. know, they're really rarefied shit. Uh, so Trevor uses that. We don't. When I want to sound posh... Um, we stumbled across, when we were making uh, Fuck Everyone and Run down at Real World, um, Mike had a rifle through Peter Gabriel's cupboard and, uh, you know, underneath underneath all the bat's wings and masks, he found, um, he found a, a, a Neumann U47, which is the old... Um, microphone that Frank Sinatra used mm. to use. You know, all the all the greats back in the day used U47s. And they are antiques now. I don't think Neumann make them anymore. And if they do, they're not the ones you want. You want the old ones because the valves were better or something. Um, so we he found this U47, he set that up and declared that... that that was a very, very good mic for my voice. Uh, and they do just sound lovely. They're really warm, but they're really present. And they're really present without being brittle. And they're really warm without being muddy. They're, they're, they're just, you can't really describe why they're like they are, but they're just lovely. They're, they're valve, they have a like, uh, they have valves in them. Um and there's a company up in Liverpool called Studio Care, is it? Is it's it Studio Care. Studio yep. Care. Um, they've got one, so we we occasionally hire it because there's not a lot of point in owning a microphone that's worth 20 grand because it'll just sit in a cupboard gathering dust for most yeah. of the year and every now and again you'll get it out and use it for a month, which, you know, you've really got to be, you know, rich and decadent to justify doing that. Also, because they're 
vintage gear, if you if you get your twenty grand out and buy one, you might get a duffer. It might yeah. not be terrific. So you're better off finding one if you can find one anywhere that sounds great and hire it, which is what we do. Uh, unless we're at real world, in which case we disturb the pyramids and masks and and, and dig out Peters. <laughs> Um, a, f- a few things come out of that then. So here's the question about takes that you've possibly kept and you've gone with the original jam vocal. The vocal on um, Happiness is the Road. You're going to ask that... me if I know. Yeah, and, and you I don't, have no do you? idea, no. Um, no, I have no idea. But I think also there's a process called comping. Right. Uh, better known as cheating, um, <laughs> where singers don't just sing the song once. It's be- because you now have multi-track recording options, um, which, you know, have been around for many years, but now they're, you know, you, in theory you could have 90 tracks of, of vocal if you were crazy enough. Um but you can sing the lead vocal several times and then use the best bits. You know, listen back to the vocal performances and go, oh, well, I really like verse one from here and this is a good chorus or da-da-da-da. And with, um, with modern technology, you can really take that to the nth degree and you can actually edit together between syllables if you're crazy enough. And I am. Mm. Um, so, you, you know, you can get your head so far up your arse, uh, it's, it, you know, it's tickling your tonsils. Um, you really can with, with, with vocal comping. But it's great fun because at the end of it, you sound like a much better singer than you are because it's got all the best bits. And you comp your own vocals, don't you? I do now, yeah. For the last two albums... Um, I've gone into the studio, I've sung the lead vocals at the studio, Mike's taken six or seven takes and then I've, I've, he sent me those takes digitally and I've, I've put them in Logic and um, compiled the lead vocals myself. Then I give it to Mike and hit, he might, I mean, as he will with this album as well, he'll sometimes listen to my comp and I'll have used a bit that he remembers isn't his favourite bit and he'll go and find what it what was his favourite part of that line, you know, the way I've phrased it or the melody I've used, and he'll edit his fave bits into my take. And I've got no problem with that at all because he works on these songs so long that if he ends up with a favourite bit, it's probably because it's got a certain something. Um, so I'm perfectly happy for him to get the knife out and uh, and mess with my comps if he chooses. Um, back in the old days, Dave Megan used to comp my, my vocals um, himself. And he, that was all done with tape, of course, and chewing gum and string and... Razor blades. Hit and record buttons really fast. Mm. But you don't have to do that anymore. You can you can do it really comfortably with a laptop. So I tend to comp vocals 
wherever I happen to be, um, at home or in hotels or wherever. I, I comped most of the last album's vocals in a, um, in a kind of a, a shack in Norway because we, we'd gone to Norway on holiday and we'd borrowed Thomas Anderson's son, Thomas Anderson from Gaspacho. He's a, he's a good friend. And we'd borrowed his summer house, which was overlooking the sea. And I comped a lot of those fear vocals in the garden on the laptop with the headphones on. Mm. So the, there's three... Is it probably right in saying this? There's three terms you tend to hear about when, when bands are in studios that are ones that, that come up a lot. Tracking's the first one. Mm. Overdubs is the second one, and then comping is is the third. So comping is literally the process of compiling the best bits together to to, to form the perfect take. Yeah, and, and everybody does it. You know, uh, guitarists do it. You know, if they, if you're recording a solo, they'll probably they'll probably do three or four mm. and use the best bits. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. and same and with you know when we've done. Even when we worked with really great players, I mean the the amazing uh, Phil Todd that played saxophone on um, on Berlin, um, he you, you know he was really Mr. One Take, amazing amazing um, sax player, but even then we we'd usually do a couple more, and maybe just splice a, a tiny bit in the middle or something if it just had a better vibe about it. And that's compiling. Tracking is basically the process of putting down the the, the backing track, which is more often than not all the band in a room playing at once. Mm. So you'll all get in a room, you'll all play at once, um, you'll have a listen back, and if somebody's dropped a clanger, uh, or wants to, or wish they'd done something else. You can you can just drop them in, and in amongst that, and remove you know in in place of what they originally were playing, mm. and make it you know better or different. Um, so that's that's the pro. Uh, and overdubbing is taking a taking the track you've put down in the first place. And adding things to it, whether you want to add an acoustic guitar on top of it to make it all sizzle a bit, or some little shakers, you know, to get, to to give it a a, a a different rhythmic feel, or a load of girls in short skirts going ooh. I mean, they don't have to have short skirts, obviously. Um, you you can you can do you can do that. Sorry, that was the rock beast in me coming out again. <laughs> indeed, yeah, but he's back in the box. He's back right. in the box. Right. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I don't think we've ever had any girls in shorts <laughs> no. singing on our album. <laughs> no. I've worn the occasional short skirt for, <laughs> for a backing vocal, obviously. <laughs> the occasional druid pops in. You've got to get a vibe going. <laughs> <laughs> but that's and of course overdubbing allows you to do things that obviously you can't replicate as easily live because that's where you end up with 18 20 24 30 tracks because you're you're augmenting you're adding those bits of acoustic guitar those bits of like I said the bits of percussion all the odd things that you you know you don't necessarily when there's five of you on stage you can't do all of that but you can when in the studio because there's no limit mm, there is no limit and so 
No, it's a bit like painting, you know. Knowing where to stop is mm. is is the tricky bit mm. because uh, with modern technology, you carry on forever mm. and keep lashing stuff on forever and a day. Um, and some people have to great effect and some people have ruined their records by doing that as well. So it's, I mean, it's art really, just... Mm. Who knows? Who knows? It's art. Overdubbing is how you get to overworked guff then? Um, well, in our case, no. I mean, I, I've always argued that the overworked guff section of the space was actually underworked. <laughs> and had we had a bit more time to spend on it and worked on it a bit more, it would have sounded much less overworked. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna take the rest of the morning to get my head around that. <laughs> so quick recap then. We've done tracking, we've done overdubbing, we've done comping, those three different things. We found out you comp your own vocals, which is which is I thought was really interesting. Um, well, I mean what's also interesting from the point of view of making a record is that the microphone um it doesn't go straight to tape. It usually goes through a mic preamp. Mm. Um, we tend to use either Neves uh, or um, there's, a, there's a thing called an Avalon as well. Mike likes that. A lot of people use Avalon preamps for vo vocals. Um, then there's compression. There's a little bit of compression and what a compressor does is it turns down the loud bits and sort of turns up the quiet bits a little bit. It evens up the it evens up the sound pressure level going going or, or the signal of the sound pressure level going down the mic. So if you're whispering along in one minute and then screaming your head off the next, um, the compressor evens that out a bit so that it so that it sits nicely in the track. In the old days, you needed compression to stop the needle jumping out of the vinyl. Um, these days, you know, vinyl's not so much an issue. Um, dynamic range, i.e. the difference between quiet sounds and loud sounds, is not such an issue anymore as it used to be uh, during the electromechanical process. Uh, but nonetheless, um, compressing a, vo a voice just seems to make it more audible in the track um and it's quite it's quite a pleasant sort of a sound if it's not if it's not overdone um so we're usually we're usually through a neve preamp or an avalon or one of peter gabriel's incredibly expensive preamps that, that, that are so expensive you don't even know the name of them they were made by squirrels in 1934 in switzerland um and uh <laughs> nameless square their names were forgotten yeah. uh, in the mists of time um so neve or avalon and then you compress them with with um i don't know the names of the compressors la something or others la uh, audio huh la audio isn't it well you uh Universal, there's the UA, isn't there? And then uh, there's yes. the LA something. Or is it LA Systems? Were I'm they Uri's? Of... There might be, there was a company called Uri who made compressors and I right. think they had an LA something or other. Right. Uh, and, and they're quite nice. 
Uh, there's also a um, Danish company called TubeTech who make valve compressors, which Trevor Horn reliably informs me he used on seal. Um, he called it, oh, blue shit, I think he, he called it. <laughs> but I since discovered it, it was a TubeTech. Um, Shit. <laughs> um, so they're quite nice as well very nice on bass guitar you usually compress bass as well right so so that's all that so i've got mm. i've got one question left then that we might come back to this because i've got more than one but i'm gonna have to go for the one because we're running out of time um and and the um at some point uh, if you do get a chance to listen to the first part of Happiness of the Road, it's the it's that that bit right at the beginning where it's just your voice that I, to me sounds like it might have come from the original. Anyway, don't know. Ah, um, oh, the greatest blessing that we have the dawn of each new day. That yes, that bit yeah. against that funny little sound of Mark's. Yeah. Yes, I can't remember mm. if that was a guide or not. Muriel's asked about the Neverland vocals. Um, hmm. How did the idea of that kind of vocal delay come about on Neverland? You know, I think I'd had some ecstasy. I was. Um, we were down in. We were down in the West Country um, when we were a hot spot for E. Yeah, carry on. When we were writing. <laughs> when we were writing. Um, of course, it could have been that cider as well. There was some particularly interesting cider down there that was sort of flat and orange that Mosley called Radweld because he, he, he thought it looked <laughs> like that stuff you pour in radiators stop them leaking. And it tasted a bit like that as well. It could have been that. But we we were down the West Country and we were going through a bit of a phase with the, um, with the mum and dad. Um... And I think we got back one evening and I think, and Mark had those amazing chords that we used in the verse, you know, when the darkness takes me over and all of that. I think we were down there, although I could be wrong, when we were writing the end section of Neverland we might have written in the racket club. It's so hard to remember. And I'd got these words about Peter Pan. Um, Wendy Darling in the Kitchen with Your Dreams. Um, about, really about, you know, the, the imprisoned housewife, you know, escaping the mundane and stand... I mean, Carl Glover made that lovely image and it was absolutely spot on what I'd imagined, of the kitchen sink in the dreary kitchen with the with the magic glistening in the sky out of the window, Tinkerbell, the little trail of stars. Um, so I'd kind of got that going on in my head and I'd got these words and I was trying to cram as many bits of Peter Pan into it as I could. So I'd got to undo the hooks. I'd got Captain Hook. I don't think I managed to get Smee in there. But I, I you know, I was, um, I, was, I, I was playfully ramming all of these Peter Pan references into it. Um, but it wasn't really long enough to fit on the music and it just occurred to me on the fly that I could... 
I could sing, I could sing my own echoes, you know, when, 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 de, 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 da, 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 ling, 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 ling. And move my, move my mouth off the mic so it was getting quieter with each repeat as though it was a, a delay. But then because it was a delay that I was singing, I could vary it and play with it. So it was just something I came up with on the fly, really, when we were writing it. It works ever so well. Really, really. Yeah, it's it's a peculiar thing. Not too many people have really done that. I mean, I, I, I didn't steal it from anyone else. Um, um, I've stolen a few things from other people <laughs> in but the not past, that. but I think I made that one up myself. <laughs> right. Well, I, th- I thought that was fascinating. And I say we may well come back to that because I think there's more questions that can, we can ask about that. And we can, of course, at the point when we get Dave on, Dave can help us with a bit of that as well. So uh, mm. that's something to talk to Dave about. Yeah, Dave's had the COVID. So he, yes. he's, he's had the COVID recently. So when I, when I gave him a tug last week, uh, he was in no fit state for me to give him a tug, really. No. Um, so he said, you know, he would he would get back to me soon. So I said, "Look, I won't I won't nag you. I'll just give you a shout in a couple of weeks and see how you're fixed." Because um, he's been he's had a couple of weeks in bed. Mm. Well, we'd, certainly something we can talk to Dave about. Um, we'll head off to a bit of diary, um, which is we're we're continuing with the kind of pressy fan clubby junket around AOS. So um, I'll let you I'll let you crack on because I think you're just about to disappear off to was it Rome first or Milan I couldn't remember I think we went we flew to Milan first and then on to Rome and then on to Amsterdam and Lord knows oh and Holland I think yeah yeah Amsterdam is in Holland Steve you've been okay <laughs> well, well let's let's go and do that then. <laughs> Where's Amsterdam? Is that Amsterdam, Scotland? Monday, 19th of June. Studio, home, Milan. Tried to lie in a little but gave up at nine when Niall went ballistic over not having had a chance to kiss Sophie goodbye before she went to school. She'll be back for lunch. He's a sensitive soul, bless him. I cuddled him until he calmed down and went back downstairs, so I went back to bed until around eleven. When I got up, the house was empty. Everyone had gone to the shops. There was a copy of our new album in the post. I had a listen to the CD, which sounds great noticeably better than the Dat Master copy. I turned it up loud and was still listening, sat in my bathrobe, when Sue returned from the shops with her parents. Her dad sat down next to me to listen. King was just starting. It was interesting to watch his reaction as the song veered from its sparse beginning to the screaming anarchy which happens later. At the end, he looked visibly shaken. It was a bright sunny day. We had lunch in the garden before I had to go to the studio for the last chance rehearsals for the acoustic live radio show in Holland. Mark is unable to do the show, so I have to play the keyboard parts, 
while singing. The parts aren't difficult in themselves, but to sing the songs at the same time gets a little tricky. Stuart, Steve and Pete were at the racket club and we ran through the set a few times, concentrating on Beautiful, which I was having trouble with. By the time I got home again, it was 3.50 in the afternoon. I had a car arriving at four to take me to the airport and I hadn't packed, running to stand still. I kissed Sophie and Niall and explained that I must go away for five days before saying bye-bye to all and climbing into the waiting Jaguar. I arrived at Terminal 2 and met up with Anne and Ian for the flight to Milan. Bought socks in sock shop. My favourite socks, pink Paul Smith's, were all wet in a bag. There wasn't time to dry them after they were washed. I will dry them in Italy. There was a brief moment of panic when I realised I'd left my sunglasses in sock shop. Anne says she'll phone them in the morning in case they have them. In Milan, we were met at the airport by our old friend Francesca Spada from EMI, who accompanied us to the Hotel Diana, where we were greeted by Marco, our main man in Italy, and Michelle, who was new to us. Also at the hotel was Marina Lenti with a posse of people from the Real to Read fan club. I went upstairs to drop my bags before leaving for dinner and drinks in a crepery down the road. Marco seemed somewhat phased by the size of the gathering. I think he'd expected to have us to himself. It was late, so we didn't eat much. I had a couple of caipirinhas, a Brazilian cocktail of cachaça, a liqueur made from unrefined sugars and limes. Perfect on sunny days and totally lethal. And chattered to those present. It seems that Beautiful has been well received here by radio unlike the UK where we continue to be the lepers of the media. Who knows, maybe we'll have a hit. We returned to the hotel and said goodnight to Marco and Francesca. Tomorrow, we start at 11. Tuesday, 20th of June, Milan, Rome. Didn't sleep terribly well. Woke up at 6.30 and couldn't really get back to sleep. Gave up around 8.30 and showered before going downstairs. Went out into the garden. I sat by a large pond next to a fountain with the intention of having breakfast and writing my diary. Anne joined me shortly after I'd made a start, so once again I postponed the idea in favour of conversation. I was wearing my shorts as it was a warm, sunny morning. As the interviews progressed, I couldn't help noticing the mosquitoes' attempts to make a banquet of my legs. The interviews were relentless, but on the whole, quite imaginative. I seemed to have finally exhausted the so tell me, why did fish leave the band questions, and lately I'm being asked about the music. We had lunch out in the garden. I munched my way through a caprese salad while theorising and philosophising to yet another journalist who seemed to be making notes in the form of little pictures and flow diagrams. After lunch, I gathered up my four pairs of pink socks, now nice and dry, from the windowsill and packed my bags. We had an afternoon of radio stations to tour before leaving for the airport and on to Rome. Late in the afternoon, as we drove through the outskirts of Milan heading for the airport, I was still at it, answering questions on the cell phone in the car. 
We said our goodbyes and hung around in the airport waiting for the delayed departure. This is completely usual. Off the flight to Rome. By now I was feeling an accumulated tiredness of mind and body which had begun in Paris last Friday. I tried to sleep a little on the flight but probably managed no more than 15 minutes. At Rome we were met by Frederico, a new acquaintance from EMI's Rome office who accompanied us in a minibus to the Cavalieri Hilton, a familiar much visited hotel which is on top of a hill overlooking Rome. We checked in, dropped our bags and returned to the reception to leave for dinner with Federico and Paolo, our product manager. The food was Italian at its best. I had a seafood salad of calamari and fresh anchovies in oil, absolutely scrumptious, with mozzarella and tomatoes. Paolo said the radio stations are playing beautiful. It always feels a little peculiar when I hear we're getting airplay. I've become so accustomed to the apologetic and resigned shaking of heads which usually follows initial optimism by our radio promotion team in England. It would seem that, as far as the British media are concerned, Marillion are filed somewhere in the same drawer as Jethro Tull, dead and buried since the 70s, and we can expect to be treated much the same, dead and buried since 1985. This hurts me more than I can say. Anyway, at least it's not too bad in Italy. We got back to the Hilton around 1.30 and I had a last beer at the bar with Ian before going up to bed. We sat outside on the terrace overlooking the pool with Rome beyond and below. Beautiful. We sat and gazed in silence. I think we were both wishing we had someone to share it with. Went to bed and slept fitfully between scratching at yesterday's mosquito bites, which had assumed enormous proportions on my arms and legs. Ouch. Wednesday, 21st of June. Rome, Zurich. Arrived downstairs a little late for the ten o'clock start. Ian had already started the first interview. It took me a few minutes to get focused. I was still half asleep and in need of more coffee. We sat out on the terrace for a while before moving inside out of the heat. By this stage, I was beginning to suffer from interview fatigue or repeated explanation syndrome or inevitable parrot fashion and switch-off syndrome, so I was consciously struggling to remain attentive and sincere. At one o'clock, there was a reception stroke lunch on the top floor of the hotel where a selection of Rome's radio people were hearing Paolo make a speech about the new releases, blah, blah, etc. There was another band in the hotel called The Blessed Union of Souls, who are currently at number one in the American chart, so I'm told, and they were also guests of honour at this lunch thing. We were announced to the radio people who were all sitting at round tables set for lunch. They looked as though they spend at least 60% of their annual income on their wardrobe. It's all food and clothes with the Italians. In England, it's all beer and cynicism. There was a piano and mic set up, and I thought it might be nice to do a song with the Blesseds. But in the heat of it, we couldn't think of anything. So I got up and fumbled my way through McCartney's Maybe I'm Amazed, and then later, The Hollow Man. It seemed to go okay. After that, we mingled a little and had some lunch from the buffet. I just had beer and ice cream. 
We had to leave at 3.30 for the national radio station where we were interviewed, having negotiated the complicated security doors. They seemed prepared for an imminent visit by some sort of heavily armed revolutionary movement hell-bent on gaining control of the country's airwaves. I guess they're all like that, aren't they? After that, we departed for the airport. We had half an hour to kill, so we stopped for an ice cream. The best known to man, topped with double cream, four million calories, and a quick 15-minute visit to St Peter. Just do it. Back at the airport, we said bye to Paolo, and he happened to have Marco on the phone from Milan, so we said goodbye and thanks to him for the trip. I like Marco a lot. The flight to Zurich was delayed, of course. Ian, Anne and I hung around, drinking cappuccino and sitting on the peculiarly uncomfortable wirework seats at the departure gate until the flight was called. When we boarded the plane, we had the same cabin staff as the flight from London to Milan on Monday. Roberto, the steward, said it's very rare for this to happen so soon after and on a different route. We told him a little about ourselves and he said he'd heard of the band. Nice chap. At Zurich Airport, our old friend Gabby Weiss picked us up and took us to the Hotel Rusli, also a much visited and familiar hotel, where we shared a drink at the bar before we all retired. Anne was staying at a hotel round the corner. Gabby happened to have seen fish recently in Zurich and told me that he sends his regards. And we're back. Yay. And I've got a, I've got a, I've got a few questions, as you'd expect, with regard to that bit of diary. Oh. Uh, and 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 I think you've read it this week, so not that I think it's <laughs> going to make any difference. <laughs> Let's be honest. I've skimmed it. You skimmed it. You skimmed it. I've skimmed it, darling. I've I've got my skates on. The first bit is that. You describe that beautiful moment where um, the CD for AOS turns up. You're in the house on your own. Obviously, you're playing the CD away for the first time. Your father-in-law walks in. You play him king. And by the sound of things, he's, vi- he's visibly quite disturbed by it all. <laughs> yes. I think he was probably listening to the words thinking, God, my daughter's married to the mind that has produced this lyric. That's worrying in itself, I suppose. Um, yeah, he did look a bit shaken. It was a, a, you know, a far cry from the shit he normally listens to. I think. <laughs> but saying that though, the first time you ever listen to King, that ending does take you a bit. I mean, once you know what it what's coming, it's not too bad. But the very first time I remember hearing it, I heard the build at the end and the bang when it finished, and I was like, "Good grief!" Yeah. No, well, it, that was all intentional, that it should sound like, you know, some kind of explosion of angst mm. for mm. obvious reasons, you know, everything going wrong. Um, what was it? The kiss of success, the ensuing, all-consuming mess. Mm. That's aged very well. <laughs> that could be last week. <laughs> Um, but uh, <laughs> who are you talking about? Uh, all of us, all of all us, of yeah. us, yeah. all of us. 
Um, wasn't wasn't particularly aiming it at me or you. Um, but um, I've got to, obviously I won't I won't stay too long on this. But you left your sunglasses in the sock shop. I'm just putting it out there. I'm merely putting it out there. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no eye tags in them days. Um, you, what was nice to hear that was that beautiful was getting airplay in Italy. Yes, I'd forgotten that. That cheered me up slightly. Reading that, uh, you, you know, you, I, I just assume we never get any airplay ever anywhere. Although, although a very nice man called Piotr Kaczkowski, who is Polish, he's the kind of Polish Bob Harris. Uh, but unlike Bob Harris, he still has a daytime radio show on um, the national station in Poland. And he's really into his music and he's a fan. And uh, he said he played um, Peripheral Vision, which is a song from uh, Colours Not Found in Nature. Um he sent me an email on my birthday. He said, happy birthday, I've just played Peripheral Vision. Oh. So that was nice. Yeah, really nice. So, uh, I mean, blimey, who's playing that? Yeah. Well, him. Well, him. So that's, yeah. that was lovely because that's the best song on there as well. I'm, I'm, I was quite very pleased with that. There, there it is, the Polish Bob Harris. That's a line I'm not going to forget in a hurry. Yeah, uh, and he's got an easy name to remember because it's like catching a cough. He's called Kaczkowski, which uh, always sort of tickles me slightly. Uh, <laughs> At the back of the throat. Yeah. <laughs> it's a tickly cough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would have been a good nickname for him, it would wouldn't it? it? They could have called him Tickly at school. Tickly or Kaczkowski. Or Benelin. <laughs> or Benny. <laughs> Benny. <laughs> Benny, yeah, sure for Benelin, you are. <laughs> <laughs> I love nicknames that take three quarters of an hour to explain. Uh, and then <laughs> the final thing I'm going maybe, to say... Maybe that was Benny Hill's real name. Maybe he was Benelin Hill. Who knows? <laughs> or Benny and Bjorn from Abba. Maybe he was... <laughs> Benelin Hill. <laughs> that, sounds like, that sounds like a place that ne'er-do-wells go <laughs> for a drink in the evening. It just sounds like it just sounds like his wife. And here we have it, Benny <laughs> and Lynn Hill. On my thrill. On Ben and Lynn Hill. On Ben and Lynn Hill. And there's um, the Chromecast. There's the Chromecast. Yes, actually, we were wondering what was going to happen next. There, yes, there you are. Ben and Lynn Hill. Always happens, we always get there. Last thing. Where did you dredge up the Roger Taylor quote? Where did I dredge up the Roger Taylor quote? Yeah. What, so a, what about the toaster? About the toaster. No, but that was that's actual. That is actual. I think he was he was in the Rusley Hotel and he right. said, This is a good town to buy a toaster. And I remember thinking, that's a bit random <laughs> as a thing to say, but only a member of Queen or possibly Pink Floyd would fly to Switzerland to buy a toaster. <laughs> Oh, they're good in Zurich. Uh, could you... <laughs> Giles, could you bring a car out? I'm going to Zurich. Has, has Mosley ever done it? Has he ever popped somewhere and thought, oh, this is a great place to buy a small electrical? <laughs> oh, he probably has, to be honest. He's probably the one member of the band who might do that. Right. And then get there and, you know, think, what on earth am I doing here? And come home again with it, not having bought <laughs> not it. Not having it. 
<laughs> well, we'll call it a day there because it's been a fairly monster episode so far with, with the vocal stuff. But I really enjoyed that. I thought it was really, really good and definitely stuff to come back to. Well, that's because you're a nerd. I'm just thinking of all the poor listeners out there going, oh, Christ. Well, the when other... is he going to... When is he going <laughs> to shut up? <laughs> When's he going to talk about his gran? <laughs> <laughs> When's he going to talk about his gran? Oh, uh, dear. Well, the other thing, and I nearly dropped it in, but if 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 we go in that far back, I actually introduced you to that KSM9. Yes, I bet you did. Mm. Yeah, I bet you I bet you brought it along and said, what do you think of this? Mm. And we had a go and thought, wow, these mm. are great. Are they mm. dear? Well... Deerish. Yeah. And then, uh, of course, I forgot to mention that I use a ra- the radio version of that live as well. The, you do? Which sounds bloody great. It does. I remember the first time I heard hearing you sing through that and I, I could definitely hear the difference. Yeah. It is yeah. a bit, it's just a bit more present, isn't yes. it? Yeah. Yeah. It sound, they sound fantastic. Really suits your voice. Really suits your voice. Mm. So there we are. And we're back to vocals again. We're back to tech again. I'm going to stop. Normal service okay. will be resumed next week, folks. Take it'll be random your again. KSM nine and go. <laughs> <laughs> Walk out the door. <laughs> oh, I'm on the edge of something. Hang on, hang on, hang up. Yeah, I'm on the edge of something. No, I can't. I can't think what it is. Right. I was. Th- it was my oh my KSM nine. Oh, it doesn't fit. Like oh my TCD <laughs> one five. Ooh. TCD15. Um, right. Yes, I think we <laughs> ought to go. stop. <laughs> but thanks for listening, everyone. Yes, thanks Once for listening. Again. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Here comes the Crooncast. No new subscribers since the middle of May. It's a cause for dismay But I made it okay Cause I found my thrill On Benelin Hill On Benelin Hill Where the bottle of champagne No one Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production. <laughs>